Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. You are you. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, today, we're talking about something that that might seem odd for listeners uh, of our show, because we don't typically talk about automobiles well you do in, in another life in another incarnation yeah right? uh, we know that conspiracies can occur in any realm or discipline and cars are really no different so whether you out there whether you are in bhutan nebraska uh argentina nepal or, or nepal or new Schwabia, you know wherever you find yourself whether you consider yourself a gearhead or not odds are that you've heard about all this kind of skullduggery alleged on the part of auto manufacturers oil companies and insidious governments and you know we we all know stories like that right like who killed the electric car perfect example yeah. and what's what's that 
Well, it's a documentary just about how oil companies and, um, you know, special interests ultimately were responsible for bringing down what should have been a viable technology and a, you know, clean solution to mm-hmm. driving that would have, you know, displaced some of the uh, pollution caused by fossil fuels. That was the EV1, I believe. Uh, uh, yeah, the Saturn, right? Yes, the car. And uh, uh, full disclosure, one of our old bosses, Marshall Brain, who founded How Stuff Works, was pretty nuts about the EV1. And then also that ties into um, the idea of car companies repressing the trolley car system, right? Mm-hmm. So this is – you don't have to be a car person per se to to notice this. And the, the history of the evolution of cars is pretty crazy too. That's part of what we get into so there, there are many, many stories like this, and so many of the stories, here's the strange thing, have commonalities, right? Sure. Many times it's one intrepid inventor alone in his garage or her garage that comes up with some mind-blowing technology that will completely revolutionize the auto industry, the entire system, and yet they're on the outside of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, inevitably, you hear that they get shut down somehow. But like, what's a more specific example of this? We could look to Stanley Meyer, who was famous for creating a water car, at least allegedly creating a water car. Um, that it was a water fuel cell that could run the entire thing on H2O, but it was shut down allegedly uh, by, let's say, the powers that be. And that's not the only example of a water-powered vehicle or alleged water-powering technology. Uh, there are former NASA scientists, like a guy named Herman Anderson in Tennessee. There's a Japanese con- company that I believe may still be active called Genepax. And they're just scraping the uh, the surface. Just Wait, so it's scraping the bottom. It's scratching the surface. Yes. I would think you could scratch the bottom or the surface yeah. or you could scrape the bottom. Yeah. I don't, it just seems like an arbitrary uh, association uh, there. Arbitrary verb. It's it's groping groping mm. the tip. Mm. That sounds weird. Ooh. No. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but since we're getting weird for a second, can I just say it's nice to be with all, all three of us in a room together for the first time in a minute. Um, I feel like, you know, the way I saw the band, the Smashing Pumpkins, I was a huge fan of. I never saw all the original members at the same time. I saw like two original members and then a pinch hitter mm-hmm. and then like three different times. So I kind of feel like that's what the listeners have been experiencing on the show lately. It was like mm-hmm. just you guys mm-hmm. and then just me and Matt and now I'm glad to be back. We're glad. To, yeah, we're glad. That's well said. No, we're glad to join the most important part of the show, which is you folks listening out there. Uh, we also, uh, if the Smashing Pumpkins are listening, you know, Billy Corrigan. Uh, he's a bit of a conspiracy nut. Uh, well, nut? You know, I don't know if he's, he's a nut. He's not a nut. But he's, he looks like a nut. He's definitely, uh, lis- he's definitely into like some, <laughs> some fringe theories. So. If you're listening, uh, let us know if the Smashing Pumpkins are ever going to get back together. Not after Noel just insulted him. We can take all this out. Billy Corgan, you used to be my hero. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it all in. Keep it all in. Let's tell the truth. Also, I really like the name of – I never actually listened to the album, but the guitarist James Eha mm-hmm. uh, had an album called Let It Come Down or something. Sounds like James Taylor. Yeah. It's that kind of like AM pop kind of like crossover country gold. We are way off the track now. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. So back back on the track. <laughs> uh, speaking of radios, those are in cars. Speaking of cars, here's our show. Boom. Right. We God, got there. Genius uh, transition. So there are multiple – 
automotive conspiracies of varying credibility, some of which would be a little out there, maybe a little self-serving for the people who try to convince you about them, but many of which, a disturbing number of which are not only plausible, but probably happened. You can hear more about these allegations, especially technological suppression, in earlier episodes of Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, which features our guest host, uh, or our guest, Scott Gearbox Benjamin, uh, who hosts uh, Car Stuff. And from there, you can just go to Car Stuff and find all kinds of fascinating episodes about cars, how they run. Oh, man. Preston Tucker, also shut down by the man. Spoiler alert. Out of all this, there's one conspiracy theory that we have not yet brought up, and that is the story that while World War II was looming on the horizon, the legendary automotive tycoon Henry Ford proposed and actually built a completely, for the time, radical new vehicle, one that seemed to completely change the world of manufacturing, not just for cars, but just in general, forever, and that was... The topic of today's episode, the hemp car. The what? Yeah, you heard me, buddy. The hemp car. So is was Henry Ford like, you know, a little bit? Is that what we're talking about? Like like Cheech and Chong? We are not here to make that judgment on Mr. Ford. Uh, He was a very stressed out man, I'm sure. That's a lot of of pressure to have on you um, to be the head of a company like that. So, you know. In his spare time, who knows what he got up to. But as it turns out, no, the car was not made of weed, um, if, if that's what you're thinking. Uh, but hemp throughout history has been a pretty incredible resource that has been largely overlooked due to having a bit of a bad rap because it is the same thing as a, a drug. Right. Yeah. Did this actually happen? Was this car actually constructed? Is it a bunch of malarkey? And if it did happen, perhaps more importantly, why aren't we driving him cars now? If you're listening to this in your vehicle now, why isn't it built of hemp? Why isn't it running on hemp? What happened to the original design? We can answer that question as well as several more, some of which uh, may have to do with the Smashing Pumpkins after a word from our sponsor. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay, and even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises and nada yada yada helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. 
Visit underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. (laughs) Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. And we're back. Uh, here are the facts. First things first. Yes, as Noel, as you alluded to earlier, before the break, hemp gets a bad name in a lot of circles. Not all marijuana is created equal, as I'm sure your local weed man will tell you. Right? They, I, there's a thing that, look, I'll be square about it and I'll be honest. I've always been confused. I'm a big fan of hip hop, but I've always been kind of confused by the different names that people have for different strains of marijuana. You know, it took me a long time to figure, an embarrassing long time to figure out that sour diesel was not just some catchphrase, that it was an actual thing. It doesn't sound very appealing. Does it, it doesn't sound very appealing, especially if you're paying money for something. Why would you want sour diesel? But the, the point is that when we say not all marijuana is created equal, we're not just talking about, you know, pot jokes about some kind of indica or cush difference. Uh, we're also talking about the difference between what people call hemp and what people call weed. And we're looking at two kinds of classifications. There's a legal difference, which is very, very important if you're ever, uh, you know, pulled over or you're in court for some reason. And there's a the scientific difference, which is important if you want to be right. So here we go. Usually when people say hemp, uh, they're talking about strains of cannabis sativa that have been bred specifically for fiber, like, or used for clothing or construction, oils or other substances. The main thing is that this is an umbrella term for the stuff that doesn't have a larger amount of THC. So it doesn't create the feeling of being high. You can't wear a hemp necklace and all of a sudden. You know, I used to work in a uh, an old theater, um, and they actually refer to the ropes in the rigging as the hemp lines, um, whether it's just an old term that stuck around or whether this theater actually still has the same stuff that was in there when that term came into use. Mm-hmm. I cannot say for sure there uh, there's a lot of updated need updating needed there, but yeah, it's it, it was a really really prevalent uh, resource and was used very, very strong has a lot of tensile strength or whatever for, you know, using for rope. And like we were saying, like it's, again, it's not something where you would 
experience some kind of inebriation touching it. You can't wear a hemp necklace and all of a sudden see musical notes on Bob Marley's greatest hits. You can't pull the hemp line at a play and all of a sudden find yourself, you know, experiencing a hallucinatory moment over pizza as cool as that would be. But marijuana is different. Marijuana is a slang term, right? Yeah. Marijuana, like pot, weed, tea, sticky, <laughs> goo balls, uncle Milroy's elbow medicine. That's a good one. Hachi machi. I don't know. Chachi. Chachi. Chachki. Chachki. Really, you can just utter any skadoosh. Skadoosh. Yeah. Sour diesel. Yo, I got that skadoosh. Yeah, you do, boy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, whatever you want to call it. That's That's a slang term, right? And it's describing strains of cannabis sativa that are specifically bred to create, um, potentous resinous glands or trichromes that grow on flowers and on leaves or buds. So the difference here, if everybody notices this, the difference here is is somewhat semantic because not only do hemp and what we call weed or pot or tchotchke, uh, they <laughs> – are we starting this now? Are we going to – I'm going to feel so weird if, if years from now people start referring to stuff as tchotchke. Surely not. There's got to be Maybe. a better name. Send us, write to us and let us know your favorite nicknames for drugs. <laughs> we are Jonathan.strickland at HowStuffWorks.com. Thank you. Uh, well, well, the difference though really is because it really is semantic because not only do, uh, do they come from the same genus, they come from the same species. They're just bred for different purposes. And we have some experts who weigh on in on this too. Right. According to Ed Rosenthal, author of the Marijuana Growers Handbook, um, the quote legal definition of hemp is a plant that has low THC and perhaps a higher level of CBD, which is the, what is that? The cannabinoid? Uh, uh yeah. Cannabinoid, cannabinoid, cannabidoil. That's a tongue twister right there. Is that really what it is? I'm, I'm mispronouncing it for fun. Okay. It's, yeah. It's the non-psychotropic, uh, part. It's the non-psychotropic substance. And I believe in the state of Georgia, that is what is legal. You can get right. a pill form of that particular part mm-hmm. to, if, if you have um, some sort of, you know, if, if you fall in line with the, uh, with a certain set, a certain of, set of yeah. conditions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it is not the same as quote unquote getting high, but it does apparently relieve, um, you know, some chronic, some pain chronic pain or, and appetite like or something. Right. Exactly. Uh, but the, uh, the, Interesting point, Noel, because the governor of Georgia at the time who supported that passage of a very, very strange, very, very conservative law, he said, okay, just this one oil by like a certain manufacturer right. for a certain amount of conditions. Uh, that guy's name was uh, Governor Nathan Deal uh, and is his name at the time of yeah. this recording. What's the deal with that? I know, right? Nominative determinism, right? And he – he took such pains to always say, this is not for marijuana. This is not, this is not that hachimachi. This is not yeah. that tea, <laughs> not that stank, not that goo goo, uh-huh. that goo goo doll, which is, uh, you know, which is strange to go to such pains when we're really at a, what could be a turning point in history. More totally. and more states are decriminalizing or even outright legalizing this kind of stuff because they're seeing a lot of the, a lot of the problems related to drug abuse in America are are more closely related to hard drugs or alcohol. I mean, how crazy is it that it is recreationally legal in the District of Columbia, but yet federally still totally gray area, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not it's, really gray federally. Federally, federally it's, it's yeah, it's, it's still schedule on the schedule one. Right? I, but I I consider that to be gray because of like the fact that it just completely disagrees with all of these different state laws, and it's just like where is the disconnect there? I just find it interesting. You're right, it's not yeah. gray, but like the relationship between the two to me is very very strange and tenuous yeah, and contradictory, right? So sadly and predictably. Just as, just as we're talking about the, the legal stuff, as you know, it gets murky real quick because here in the United States, the state level definitions don't always agree with one another of what, you know, what is hemp versus marijuana? What is legal? What is not? And then if you even go drill down even further into the local laws and jurisdictions for uh, zoning, like if you look at California right now, mm-hmm. even if on a statewide basis it's legal, it may be illegal. Uh, from the locality, the county, to mm-hmm. have like a growing, I don't know, uh, to have a farm. To a gazebo? Or yeah, or, you know, to even sell it. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Personal use kind of things. Mm-hmm. Or uh, places like Ohio, which have a famously corrupt approach to the legislation. As the U.S. moves away from marijuana prohibition at what appears to be an increasing pace, states are scrambling to nail down definitions of what would be, you know, weed the drug, uh, that sweet kitten whisper. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. It's my favorite so far. <laughs> and, and what would be hemp as an agricultural product, make, you know, rope, fiber, etc. So the result now is a confusing, contradictory state by state legal redefinition based on what are considered higher levels of CBD or THC. It's no secret that for a long, long time, the federal government opposed products that had hemp components in, in any degree as a, uh, because of their association with with marijuana. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's also the reason why a lot of middle school and high school kids thought hip necklaces were cool. Because they were like, they were. look, guys, look at me. I get stuff. You know how I feel about puka shells, Ben. Yep. We've been <laughs> over the puka shells. Please don't get us started. Oh. And we can find so many websites uh, of varying authenticity insisting that hemp is a miracle crop by God, by golly, by – Gum. Jehoshaphat. I mean, those sites are all run by dirty hippies, though, obviously. With a million uses, George Washington farmed hemp, Matt. No, we wouldn't have good music without pot, etc. George Washington was a dirty hippie. (laughs) Come on, man. What about stand-up comedy and and stoner food and uh, the movie Half-Baked? You know, it's it's true. I wouldn't know who Duncan Trussell was if it wasn't for this substance. (laughs) But, you know, for that matter, what about cars? Oh, yeah, cars. I was hoping we would get back around to cars. <laughs> the, uh, I totally forgot what we were talking about, bro. Yeah. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> what? And we'll get to that right after a word from our sponsor. <laughs> Here's where it gets crazy. Let's talk about a man. You probably learned about him in class. A man of his time. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then... 
you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health, but by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. (laughs) Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Mr. Henry Ford. There's a a wealth of well-intentioned misinformation out there on the Internet about this fellow. He did have a brilliant mind. I think that we can agree upon that. Uh, He was an acolyte of Thomas Edison. You guys remember that person as well? He's a bit of a stone-cold bastard, but that's just history for you. Okay, yeah, you're kind of right. Uh, if you look to tales of him him and Tesla that we have discussed before and mm-hmm. among other people that he interacted with in his life. Sure, sure. But this, this gentleman, Henry Ford, even played a small part in the creation of what we refer to as the weekend. Hey, everybody likes the weekend. I know I do. Well, you know, their new album is okay. Yeah, the uh, calendar weekend. Oh, yes, yes. Not the musician so far as we know. There's a really interesting story about that, uh, which maybe is a story for another day you can learn about in a Brain Stuff video that will be coming out soon. But it's strange that people make up this misinformation about Henry Ford, no matter how well-intentioned it is, because he did enough real crazy stuff on his own. Raging anti-Semite. I've heard tell of that. Raging. Uh, a little bit of a loon with his ideas, very strict, uncompromising boss. But we see that a lot in these mm-hmm. 
titans of industry, you know, like Steve Jobs. Sure. That fine right. line between genius and madness. Like where he put the iPhone prototype in the fish tank. What? You heard that story? Uh-oh, what happened? I mean, I think I think he he wanted it to be thinner or something like that and he just like in front of all the designers who had been slaving away at this prototype, he just threw it in a fish tank and oh. told them to start over. It's too fast, nuts, man. That's so inconsiderate. Well, okay. So a run of Henry Ford stories real quick, just to show that. Yeah. What are some wacky ones? <clears throat> All right. So one wacky one is there was a slight redesign on, I believe it was a model A. It was either model A or model T and it was very, very minor. So they showed it to Henry Ford and like, Oh, here's the new line. It was supposed to be everything he said. And again, I can't stress how, how minor this was. And they didn't tell him about it, but he noticed it and he tore it apart with his bare hands. Whoa. He tore the car apart with his bare hands. It's way easier to tear one of those cars apart than, you know, like a modern car. Still. Yeah. He lost his, he lost his mind. He also, uh, built because of the price of rubber that would be used in tires and how he was having a difficult time getting that. He said, you know, I should. Go to the Amazon where I know there could be cheaper rubber and build my own city and have the people who live in that city just work for me. Fordlandia. Yeah. And we'll call it, no lie, Fordlandia. Are you serious? Yeah. I just pulled that out of my, no, you aren't. My brain. I did. No, are you serious? Yeah. Well, you nailed it, man. Yeah, it's true. Wow. You really named it Fordlandia. 1927. (laughs) That is amazing. And they're native, you know, they're native people who've been living there in, in their own culture for an untold number of years, you know, thousands and thousands of years. And so he takes this weird, this very, very strange, like idealized step forward esque approach to what he thinks the ideal American Western life is. So he makes all the guys play baseball. No one can drink anymore. Yep. They have to wear a certain type of clothes. They all have to go to church. Uh, eventually, the diet changes completely. The diet changes completely. Eventually, so he's trying to assimilate natives, basically. Is yeah, that- well, he's yeah trying to turn them into more American than Americans. Oh wow! And it uh, doesn't work. No. Uh, but there, up till fairly recently, there were people who were still living in the ruins of Fordlandia in case Ford Motors decides to come back and start it. The, the crazy thing about this, the biggest problem that that Ford didn't even notice because he didn't consult any rubber experts or anybody that would tell him this before he even got the idea is that you cannot cultivate plantation style rubber in the Amazon rainforest. Yeah. Because of all the different pests and the, they call it blight mm-hmm. that affects them when you sure. grow the, the trees so close together, it just kills everything. And it's such a diverse ecosystem that you can't really have it's it's very difficult to have monocultural stuff you know yeah. that's why we lost the good tasting bananas what the ones that taste like the banana candy <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> uh it's either gross mike michael gross michael or uh cavendish my girlfriend told me that like we were talking about banana candy at a thanksgiving she said you know that the original bananas tasted like banana candy and i was like there's no way that's true I don't know if I would Apparently like it's them. it's true. It's true. And she was mad at me because I do that sometimes where I'm just like, no way. The, Not <laughs> a chance. But right. Yeah. That's mono agriculture is another great idea for an episode. So, so, okay. This guy built his, uh, first off, he's convinced that there are shadowy cabals that are taking over the world. And his solution is to make as many cars as possible. Yeah. Secondly, uh, he has a huge temper, tears things apart with his bare hands. 
So, so he gets these, uh, Mr. Hyde level fits of rage. And, uh, third, he built his own essentially intentional community or commune, uh, for a deal on rubber that didn't work out because he never thought to ask the smart questions. And everyone was too scared of the guy to say no. Yeah. So of course, when we, when we hear somebody tell this Ford hemp car story, of course we think, oh, that makes sense. This guy's uber bonkers. <laughs> he would try it. It's like, we're lucky he didn't say, let's make a car out of dirt or people or people, <laughs> the model P or soylent green or soylent green. <laughs> well, here's the answer. Unfortunately, no, he did not make a car entirely out of hemp. And what? Yeah, I know. It's a bummer, right? Because it's such a cool story. Yeah. But he did, to Noel Brown's point, he did make what they called a soybean car. I'm a what? And it may have contained hemp. This is not just a story made out of thin air. Uh, here's Here's how it went down. Right. So Henry Ford had literally zero problem dismissing the status quo. He was a rabble rouser. He liked to shake things up, do things his own way, like Frank Sinatra would say, especially when he felt that people were limiting progress with their close minded ways of looking at problems. And but this is how things. we do things. Right. Uh, by the late 1930s, uh, he was intensely aware of a lot of looming potential problems uh, on the horizon of the automotive industry. Um, and we can go through a few of those here. Steel, number one, steel had at the time a lot of issues and limitations as a building material for automobiles. What were some of those? Well, all right. First, it's going to, it's going to require multiple industries working together, right? There are steel manufacturers, so you have to work with them. You don't own you you buy a supply of steel from them. You don't own the the means of production. That's tough. Uh, also, when it comes to material science at the time, uh, molding steel into shapes can be imperfect and uh, a, a laborious process. But that wasn't the only problem. Converting ore into steel, also a complex operation. So again, you know, titans of industry at this time are all about owning the entire thing. They call it yeah. vertical integration, right? So Standard Oil wants to own everything from the, the ground that the oil comes from to the pump yeah. that puts the gas in. Uh, so Ford also started looking into alternate materials, tail as old as time when it comes to manufacturing. How can I do it cheaper, better, faster? Yeah, he looked at plastic uh, and eventually he wanted to find something even better than that. And guess what? He picked that old soybean as a building block to uh, to build the body of a car, the panels that you see. There and there's another factor here that doesn't really rear its ugly head quite yet, but we're going to get into that and we'll we'll see if you can figure out and guess what it is. So, rumor has it that one day at some point in the past, Henry Ford visited the Deerfield Village Trade School and he learned about a crop that was, at this point in time, obscure and largely irrelevant in the West. And that was the soybean. And this dude got obsessed with the soybean. He loved them. He, he was probably one of the first Americans to ever drink this thing called soy milk. Mm, mm, mm. And he did it on a regular basis. Do you guys drink soy milk? No, I do like edamame, though. Yeah, edamame is the business. Uh, but soy milk, not my jam. He loved it, though. 
I've had some almond milk that I enjoyed, but okay. it's not really milk. <laughs> what is it? Then? It's some almond concentrate in some other things. Suspended in a milky liquid. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, he, he even held a lunch for journalists at the 1934 World's Fair where he served an all soy menu. We're talking soy crackers, soy bread, soy cheese, straight up soy beans, mm-hmm. probably soy milk and so on. Uh, and he also believed the versatility of this crop doesn't need to be limited solely to foodstuffs. With all that soy he was consuming, I'm really starting to feel like behind the scenes he might have been doing a little, little toky toky. Oh, wait, <laughs> smoking the soy? Yeah. I thought you meant he was going to be having a lot of gas with all them soybeans. That, 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 maybe that too. There were studies that have come out in the past few years that allege Excessive consumption of soy, uh, including, you know, products like tofu and stuff can, uh, disrupt hormonal levels or mm. raise estrogen levels in dudes. Interesting. I don't know how true that is. I haven't read the studies myself. So he thought this stuff is so useful. You know, he's hanging out with his entourage of people that he hasn't like killed or fired yet. <laughs> and he's going, man, soybeans, they're so amazing. And I bet we could use them to build a car instead of just a buffet. And everyone's like, what? And he's like, you're fired. And everybody (laughs) else says, oh, great idea. So in hopes of building a cheaper, more durable, lighter car, he originally enlisted the help of, and this guy is important, a stylist named E.T. Gregory. However, Henry Ford did not like the work that this guy and his team were producing, so he took him off the project. And instead, he handed it to a guy named Lowell Overly. And Lowell, before he was working at Ford's Soybean Laboratory, he did have a dedicated soybean laboratory, uh, Overly was designing tools and dye. And Overly, because he wasn't a chemist, found a chemist named Robert Boyer. And Boyer is the real, like, hero of this story okay. or the question mark in this story. 1941, August at a thing called Dearborn Days, this community festival in Dearborn, Michigan, Henry Ford unveils what is called the soybean car. The frame was made of tubular steel and had 14 different plastic panels connected to it. Um, this was a 2,000-pound car, which was a good 1,000 pounds lighter than a steel car. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Possibly a little dangerous though, maybe, right? I, mean, I don't know. Um, but anyway, lightweight plastic windows and it had a, uh, 136 CID flathead Ford V8 60 horsepower drivetrain. So not, not bad at all for the time. Here's the thing. Here's why we hear it called a hemp car so often. Some people might be wondering why we go from hemp to soybeans. The exact ingredients of these plastic panels made by the chemist Robert A. Boyer are unknown because no record of this formula exists today. You'll see articles claiming that the panels were made from a chemical formula that included many ingredients, soybeans, wheat, hemp, flax, and some other stuff. However, that guy we talked about who was sort of the, the bureaucratic or business head, the mm-hmm. tool designer, uh, Lowell Overly, claims that it was soybean fiber in a resin with formaldehyde used to, to impregnate the soybean fiber into the resin. But that's still secondhand. We literally don't know what Robert Boyer, the chemist, 
designed. We know they experimented with several stuff. And there's no question that this approach to design had potential. Lighter weight makes it more efficient, you know, uh, and gave it the ability to pay on the engine for a high level of performance. Because right now, so much material science in race cars or exotic supercars, your neighborhood Lamborghini and what have you, so much energy is focused on making engines bigger, but also making everything else in the car much, much lighter, mm-hmm. which is why people are all Twitter-pated about carbon fiber. Uh, however, Ford was also convinced that not just would this make it more efficient, but this would also save lives in the car, that it would be more durable and safer and able to roll without crushing – so there are instances or anecdotes where apparently he would walk up and he would have a steel panel and then he would have one of these miracle mystery plastic panels and take a bat and just knock the living tar out of it. And then the panel would bounce back and then steel would be all dented and stuff. He was always finding reasons to hit things. But this is – and one thing we need to remember, like you said, Ben, this is essentially a prototype. That was right. created. So this is a small batch of whatever material Boyer created. Right. It doesn't have to be this giant – industrial size vat of thing. That's of, uh, true. That's a stuff. big, that's a great point. And, and Ford, like many industrialists, foresaw a possible and serious shortage of metal in the future. He wanted to get ahead of the game. In that summer, in the golden summer of 1941, the car made two public appearances. That's it. One in Dearborn and one at the Michigan State Fairgrounds. And after those appearances, I'm sad to say, it got destroyed. Yep. So no one could ever use it again and find out the secrets of the soybean vehicle. According to Overly, the toolmaker who took over that project, the guy who originally had the job, E.T. Gregory, he was the one who ordered it destroyed, not Henry Ford. Really? And we may never know exactly why. So that other factor that we mentioned earlier, the uh, the upcoming loss of steel resources, yeah, that that did happen. And it was even worse than Ford had imagined. That this thing called the attack on Pearl Harbor occurred in December of the same year, 1941, and the U.S. was drawn into World War II. So guess what? All that steel that would have been used for these vehicles, it was going into weapon production, uh, creating all kinds of uh, tanks, uh, airplanes, different kinds of war vehicles. The birth of America is a superpower. Absolutely. There was a second unit. In production, a second plastic car, soybean car, hemp car, whatever you want to call it. In production, this was also halted during World War II. And when the dust settled, almost everyone had forgotten about the curious soybean car. And today there are questions that remain. First, why don't we know the composition of this miracle plastic? Was it Bakelite? Was it maybe like the plastic substance on the Trabant? And why did the guy who originally lost the project become the one who destroyed it? If there were a conspiracy afoot to suppress this technology, where would it originate from? Steel manufacturers, agricultural executives? Did they just lose the formula because it wasn't that good of an idea? Was it actually created by all of these organic substances they're talking about? Or was it uh, was it a little wink, wink, nod, nod, maybe just more plastic. Right. Was like it not as special as they, petroleum. they said it was? Yeah. Well, let's not forget, Henry Ford was consistently trying throughout his entire life to marry and meld agriculture and industries. A lot of people don't know this, but so the first Model T's come out in 1908, right? The original Model T's could be run off a hemp-based fuel. And it was only due to 
economy of scale when gas became cheaper that they said, okay, we'll just get rid of the hemp option. But originally, uh, he wanted plant-based fuels. Yeah, he's pushing so hard for ethanol. He thought that was the way we were going to move. And, and the story doesn't end here. Because as, as we're recording this, multiple people around the globe are researching the growing potential of hemp as a fuel source uh, and beyond. Not necessarily for car construction. Although there is a guy, a former Dell executive, that is sort of taking uh, Henry Ford's idea or his secret formula and kind of running with it. This is a man named Bruce Michael Dietzen who lives in Florida and has constructed uh, from a Mazda chassis a car made entirely from sort of a woven cannabis hemp material. Huh. And as Ben was talking about comparing the, the, the bodies of uh, modern supercars and things with that carbon fiber, it does have almost like a woven look to it. When you look at it, you can see the grain of the material. And it is this is incredibly light. And um, he is attempting to kind of like debunk the stigma that is associated with hemp, which, as it turns out, is still illegal to grow in Florida. Dietzen actually had to import the woven kind of fabric-like material from China. And um, the body is 10 times more dent resistant than steel, uh, and it wouldn't need nearly as much uh, body work after an accident. Um he used a hundred pounds of woven hemp. And if you look at the car, it's a really cool, sporty, nice looking kind yeah. of modern design. Um, and the article here takes great care in using lots of marijuana puns. Uh, uh, quote, right. building the car was no pipe dream for Dietzen, who found inspiration after hearing about famed industrialist Henry Ford using the durable material in 1941 to build the world's first soybean hemp car. Um, and it cost him 200 grand to make this car. So, you know, he is going out on a limb financially to kind of bring this, uh, back into public consciousness a little bit. But I think it's an interesting, uh, experiment for sure. And this was 2016. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in to defend this guy. Now you, you brought us this story. Uh, what I, what I have to say is whenever somebody does the first iteration of something or whenever they do it on their own and it's their first iteration, even if it was someone else's idea, it's going to be expensive. So the fact that he could do it for 200 grand and that's it is, is pretty low and pretty, I mean, it speaks pretty highly of, of his approach. So the thought then would be that if, if he manages to get people to, to say, well, maybe we've been giving this material a bad rap, then the next cars you know, or like 110,000 and then on and on and on until ultimately, ideally, if we're in a perfect world, you know, every, everybody gets, gets one for free. Whoa. Yeah. And this model, it does run on biofuel, which is something I wanted to uh, bring up. It, it uses recycled agricultural waste. And I remember, I mean, a decade ago, more than a decade ago, I remember bands hearing about bands touring and converted like school buses yeah. that could take veggie diesels, what they called it. Yeah, and you could strain easy. out and process fryer, uh, mm-hmm. used fryer grease to actually fuel your vehicle. And it's like, why don't we hear more about that? I mean, it just, you know, well, it's po- that's the thing. Ford knew it was possible to ferment vegetable materials. And other plant materials to create fuel. And you could do it, and it's possible. The problem was, and is now, the oil industry. I mean, that's why cars are made out of plastic. That's why they run on oil. That's, that's 
where it is because it's cheap enough. There are the infrastructures in place to produce it. Right. There's a uh, there's a thing that happens. We talk about this uh, a lot in international affairs or international economic matters. There, there's a thing that happens when you have an economy of scale that has inundated an industry or a region. You know, it, coal clearly is not the best answer for a lot of things, right? But if we have an infrastructure completely designed for coal, then it de facto becomes the best answer for now. You know, it's like that, that old joke you see people talking about Mr. Right versus Mr. Right now or whatever. Yes. <laughs> okay. That's on some inspirational meme somewhere, I'm sure. But that is the, that's the situation we're in now. And this is an obscure story from history, but it has implications for the present and for the future. A lot of people forget just how powerful the manufacturing companies are. And we say manufacturing, we're not talking about the people who manufacture stuff directly for you to buy. In most cases, we're talking about the places that sell to those manufacturers. We're talking about the organizations that own those manufacturers. The most powerful companies on this planet are the companies that you will rarely ever hear of. And it would be nice for us to do a show on that in the future. If we could, yes. Unless they own us too. I don't know. Uh, well, Let's talk to IGU and see what they have to say. Yeah, they, they we'll have, have to check with Illumination Global Unlimited. But in the meantime, uh, while we're writing a letter to them, that reminds us of writing letters, which means it's time for Shout Out Corners. Our first message comes from Ashley. Uh, the subject line says, Putin, a spy in the USA? Is that a pun in the U.S. Army? In the U.S. Army, that's what it says. Uh, let's find out. She says, yes, I totally intended that title to be a, a Putin, as in Vladimir Putin, uh, pun. Wow, that's great. Okay. Uh, I thought all with all the Russia talk, I'd get around to sharing the story about my grandfather. I've been holding on to this for you all, uh, hoping that I'd actually get to sit down and write or record this story. But we rarely see each other, and he was not at this year's Christmas function. We're a family of hermits. Anywho, my grandfather was in the U.S. Marines in the late 1950s. He served time in the Pacific and also once bummed a cigarette to Lee Harvey Oswald, then known as the idiot who shot himself in the foot, Grandpa says. Foot, history says elbow. And apparently he caught a glimpse of an SR-71 Blackbird and a hangar well before they were public knowledge and was told to essentially move along. And here's where it gets good, right? Grandpa also talks about a man named Robbie Robinson. Now, this gentleman was a quiet man, incredibly bright, but kept to himself, didn't socialize, and wasn't well-liked. He also didn't go out with others to bars and other off-base excursions, but he tended to vanish for periods of time by himself. That sounds familiar. Hmm. I don't remember if Grandpa ever said what role he played, but after him and his comrades all came home and went on with their life, they started to get back in touch with old military buddies. Except no one knew whatever happened to good old Robbie Robinson. No one knew where he was, uh, what had become of him, and never made any contact. He was pretty much forgotten until one day, many, many years ago, Grandpa was watching TV and, huh, what do you know, there was Robbie Robinson. Except this time, he was a Russian politician, and he was calling himself Vladimir Putin. Grandpa claims to this day that the resemblance is striking. And with all the recent Russian hacker talk and the history of spies between our countries, 
Well, maybe. What say you? Perhaps an episode dealing with the history of Vladimir Putin? Uh, is it what the history books say, or is there more? Love your podcast. Your show is one of the first ones I found when I started listening to them and tech stuff, and I was so annoyed that you were the only, uh, that you were only doing videos at the time. Much love. That's very, very sweet. Ashley, and a cool story about her grandfather, both with Lee Harvey Oswald and this gentleman mm-hmm. that uh, may have been a spy and now runs Russia. Yeah, I I find this fascinating, especially because we don't often talk about in the mainstream media, we don't often talk about the deep state and how former President H.W. Bush was in charge of the CIA before becoming the president of the U.S. and how uh, Vladimir Putin was in charge of the KGB. There is a famous picture of Vladimir Putin as a photographer when Ronald Reagan, I believe, visits uh, visits Russia one mm-hmm. day. I'm going to maybe post that in response. We'll post it somewhere on the internet. But I really appreciate you writing in, and I'd love to look into that because, honestly, Ashley – the global public doesn't know very much about Vladimir Putin's personal life here. Uh, just for, just for, uh, giggles between us, I'll show you guys the picture. See, there's President Reagan and they're on the right in the circle. He has more hair in this picture. He looks like a, like a tourist, like a dad. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got like a striped polo shirt on and has the yeah. camera around his neck. Looks like he's a, Vacationing at Disney World. Right, right. Maybe he's posing as that kid's dad. That kid had a weird day. But uh, it's common knowledge that there have been embedded spy programs in the U.S. and Russia during the Cold War. And I watched the show The Americans, which concerns itself with some of that. Next shout out comes from Alex. Um, Hi, conspiracy guys. First off, I love the show. Thanks for getting me through the work day. I have recently been digging into your old podcast and was listening to the one about the JFK assassination. You mentioned that there was a classified file with secrets possibly concerning this that could be opened by the president in 2017. With the inauguration in less than two weeks, I was wondering if you have heard anything more about this or if you think that Trump will release any of this information. Well, if he wants to prove that Ted Cruz's dad had something to do with it, I sure hope he uh, unseals that document. That's just my two cents. Um, I also listened to both of your episodes on whistleblowers, which I found very interesting with everything going on with the election and Russia. It would be great if you could do another update on this info as well as update uh, us on the people like Edward Snowden that you had previously talked about. Again, love the show. Um, Alex. Great letter from Alex. Thank you for writing in. Uh, We can give a very small update on this information. So the thing that we know now is that out of the wealth of documentation surrounding the JFK assassination, the National Archives released a list in 2016 of 3,063 documents that have been fully withheld. That's, wow. that's the way to say it. This doesn't necessarily mean that these are all like – the first alien contact arrived. It wasn't a bullet that went through his head. It was a spaceship or anything like that. Uh, although that would be really strange. Cool. Uh, what this means is that 
and just haven't released this stuff. We don't know what it is. So of course you, the speculation runs rampant. The documents were listed. They were released in response to a uh, freedom of information act, uh, from the Politico outfit and a group of other researchers and organizations. They were all collected by the assassination records review board. And that was something that was created by a thing called the 1992 JFK Records Act. That same act, the JFK Records Act, requires that all the documents on that list of fully withheld stuff be released by October 2017. So October of this year is our update, Alex, unless the next president decides to keep them classified via executive order or something like that. So at this point, we're still on the wire. We're several months out from seeing what these do contain and the national archives, when they released this list of documents, they didn't say, you know, what's in them at all. We can't emphasize that enough. They just said, here are the things that we have that you don't know about, which is terrible. That's like when somebody, do you ever get a text from one of your friends? that's just like, we need to talk. I hate that. Just don't just send me the thing. I will read your long text (laughs) message. So our final shout out, uh, is from Michelle M. And Michelle wrote in with a, an interesting question. I want to see what you guys think of it. I want to see what you think of it as to, as well, listeners. Michelle says, uh, great show. Thank you for keeping my mind occupied while I'm doing the kind of work that only uses the other half of my brain. Parentheses. I'm a designer. Uh, I've learned a ton. So she says straight to it. You guys should cover weddings. There might not be a huge conspiracy theory in there, or maybe there is, but the wedding industry definitely makes huge money by making women and girls believe from a young age that they need to have a beautiful event with all sorts of frills and bells and whistles, and they need to be more beautiful than humanly possible because it's their special day. And when you actually look into it, most of the wedding conventions are patriarchal or just plain archaic and meaningless now. For example, brides originally carried a bouquet to mask the stench of their poor hygiene back in the day when people stank all the time. But now bouquets and flowers for, are for decoration, and they're seen as a convention that the wedding industry keeps pushing because they make so much money from people buying hugely marked up flowers. As you may have guessed, says Michelle, I'm engaged in planning my wedding. Well, hey, you know what? Congratulations. Oh, for sure. That's huge. Congratulations, Michelle. And yet, even though I know all these traditions are meaningless and patriarchal and taking my money, I'm still doing them. Uh, and she talks a little more in detail about this industry. And she sums it up by saying, so basically the wedding industry has brainwashed almost all women in this country and many others. Please tell me how they did it because my emotions have definitely been manipulated for profit. I've been conditioned to want stupid and expensive things. I was going to say this reminds me of the diamonds uh, episode. And uh, she mentions that right here that we've already covered diamonds and may have covered weddings. But no, I don't believe we have in this uh, in this amount of depth. We, we have not. And it would – it would be great to uh, get some of our colleagues in on this too who might have more expertise. I mean, my position on the whole thing is like, you can make your wedding whatever you want it to be. Sure. Uh, you know, I think you, it, it's easy to feel susceptible to these pie in the sky, big wedding, special day scenarios. But I mean, you can have a family affair and invite your friends and do the, de- the decoration yourself or get some crafty friends to help you and have it be just wonderful. You know, like that's what my wedding was like. I would say it depends on your family because in my experience, weddings are about the family, like appeasing the family, whatever their wishes are. And that bothers me. More than the individual uh, couple getting married. I don't like that. We can also – I just want to 
not to be too uh, Luciferian about it, but you are not beholden to other people except for the one you're marrying, right? Ideally. Sure. So if you want to just elope and then take the money you would have spent and have an adventure around the world with someone you love, I don't know. Maybe if I was in someone's family and they're like, hey, we're not doing a wedding uh, because we're going to spend the money traveling the world, I'd be like, that's amazing. That's great. Yeah, that's pretty you awesome. Know? Do what you know, thou wilt, Ben. Plus, yeah, plus it means that I don't have to go somewhere and uh, interact in a crowd. I'm all about that. I will kick my feet up. I will write some creepy horror fiction, and I will think of you guys. Godspeed, or Matt Speed, as we often say here. And that ends our... It also ends our episode, but not our series. Never fear, ladies, gentlemen, and uh, the others amongst you. Uh, we will be returning this week. We have uh, big things in the mix. We want to hear from you. Find us on Facebook and Twitter where we are Conspiracy Stuff. And while you're on our Facebook, we just recently posted uh, a question for you, which is a question for suggestions about what topics we should cover in 2017. Our best episode ideas always come from you, so you can drop by Facebook and let us know what you think. As we said before, you can catch all of our car shows. It's weird that we do have car shows on our website, StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com, along with every other audio podcast we've ever done. And for those of you who are saying, poppycock, malarkey, what buffoonery, I would never use Facebook. Don't worry, there are other ways to contact us. Besides chanting alone in a darkened room, which always works, you can try that first, you can send us an email. We are conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. Five to six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. 
Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Thank you.